Duke's house. All right, so I know people might be ready to get past this TCU game, but we keep discussing a few different problems in message boards and online. And after watching the tape a couple times, I don't think the answer is as simple as people want to hear. You are Locked On Cougs, your daily podcast on the Houston Cougars, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked on Cougs, the daily podcast about your Houston Cougars. I'm your host, Houston-born teacher and coach, Parker Ainsworth, here to break down all things Cougs. If you're a U of H fan or just a hater who came to step by, please be sure to subscribe down below. That way we can lay us on the Cougs in your newsfeed each and every day. We appreciate you making Locked on Cougs your first lesson of the day. If you're finding us on the YouTube channel, welcome back, and it's good to see you again. Remember to subscribe and give away every 250 subscribers. Next one is 1750. We're approaching 1600. But we have a very generous gift from our man, Juan. Uh, we'll be posting this on social media on Tuesday as well. But Juan has generally helped donate some tickets to the game this Saturday. Juan has tickets for you. The only thing we got to do once you get these tickets is make sure you take pictures and post and tag he and I on social media on Saturday as you tailgate and enjoy the game. Here's what we're going to do is I need you to, in the comments section down below, I want to hear your favorite game to attend or to watch on television from the Houston Cougar football program. That's any era, any time, any place. Tell me in the comment section. We'll be picking a commenter from this video and telling you on Wednesday, we'll get in touch with you and da, 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 and get the tickets into your hands. But all Juan's going to ask you to do, and it's very, very generous of him is to give us pictures of your time. Um, so down below, tell us what your favorite memory, your favorite game memory from this program has been. Now today I've got a handful of things to talk about that probably are not anyone's favorite memory. Um, first I want to talk about QB one. And I think that I, I think there's a lot of vitriol going out there online. That is, a little not fair um, after watching a third time through the film. Thanks to YouTube TV is a great thing to switch to YouTube TV. Um, really helps out with a lot and figuring things out and rewinding and DVRing and all that kind of stuff. The second thing I want to talk about some is that it's more than just one thing. Um, if I were funnier, the sidebar here on the YouTube channel might have number one there as well. Um, Cause I don't think it's just Donovan by any stretch. And then the third thing is kind of more of a defensive focus, talking about how they've been handling tempo. But first, let's jump into that first segment and talk some about the quarterback. Because if you haven't been able to tell, one of the things I hate are stereotypes and things like that people say after every loss. I hate it when after every loss, people want to fire the coach. Now, again, that's not that thing that's faultless and anything that goes on. And I don't mean to say that either, but it feels like a very common thing that everyone in America says. The second most common things people say after a loss are go with backup quarterback. The backup quarterback is always the most popular person in town, and it especially helps when Lucas Coley, Houston's backup quarterback, is such a likable person and kid, right? That's, of course, going to make it the most easy thing to go to is like, go to the backup quarterback, go to the backup quarterback, go to the backup quarterback. But I don't think that's this, the way to go about this after watching the game film a couple times. Um, I think people on the game watch went gut feelings and this and that and remembering this and remembering things that might be a little bit contorted. Um He's very clearly adjusting the offense, and I want to open up with that, that this is a dramatically different offense than they were running at Tech, and they're kind of trying to mold in some of the stuff that he does well while also staying true to what the offense is designed to do and what the players recruit around him were designed to do. 
and that's tricky. And he's still making his reads, and they played a tougher opponent, I think, than we thought they were going to have in Rice in the second week. And they played an incredibly tough opponent in the uh, you know college football playoff runner-ups TCU this past weekend. Um, as Dana mentioned in his presser on Monday, they had two linebackers kind of more or less spying and being just a burden on Donovan Smith the entire game that were – uh, both all Big 12 football players last year, right? Uh, Fifth-year seniors, veteran guys, et cetera. Um, I think the thing that people have a tr- are having trouble with is that, um, like, in uh, Saturday's game, Donovan was 17 to 35. It's a little over 15 uh, 50% completions. And people are like, that's not good, da da da, da. right? Um, and I talked about this on Monday some, but I want to reiterate it here that um, a lot of people are pulling up passing completion percentages um, in regards to what Donovan Smith is or is not doing well. And I, I just don't think that's fair if you're not also acknowledging the dropped footballs. I did a long segment on this, so I'm not going to speak on it too long here. But if all five of the drops are on the books, and I think there were really six or seven, um, but they're not counting them as that a pro football focus. But if, if he had five of those catches that were drops, all five would bring him to 22 of 35, which is the 62% plat- passer that we thought we were getting in the first place. Um and I'm not alone in saying this, whatever you want to say about Holgerson and stuff. He pointed out that he also, that this is the quote from Monday's pre-practice press conference. Uh, Holgerson said that Donovan needs the people around him to play better. It's too inconsistent at receiver. Sam has been pretty consistent. Sam Brown, that is uh, with the amount of times we've been targeting him. The success rate is pretty high. It's not so much the other two, I mean the other two receiver spots. We need more production right there on this season. Donovan Smith is showing 56.3% completions and has had 12 drops go against him from his wideouts. Um, Sam Brown, I should point out, has no drops on the season, has played balling, balling, balling from Sam Brown. Um, if you had 10 of those 12 drops were catches, and many of them should be catches, um, but let's say the one in the end zone is too tough a catch for a tight end or whatever, like let's say only 10 of the 12, he'd be up to nearly to six, just over 65, almost 66% completion. And if all 12 were caught, he'd be at 67% completions. 67% if he had no drops this season would be in the top 15 in all of college football for players with over 100 passes thus far. That's important. Okay, that's good. That's elite quarterback play without drops. If uh, the 65%, if he had 10 of the 12 caught, would also put him in the top 20 for players with over 100 passes thrown. I, I say to say that while there are other things to be critical and like, yes, the learning curve seems steeper than we thought it might be, he's doing a better job than people realize. And I think that is uh, most obvious when we look at the tape from Saturday and just like looking at the deep balls he threw. Uh, he was 2 of 4 on completions of balls thrown over 35 yards. Uh, those are big chunk plays or getting, you know, moving, flipping sides of the field or moving from the midfield into the red zone or down near the goal line or what have you. Um, two of four on those. Obviously, the big opening uh, drive play to Sam Brown was awesome. Remember that catch for sure. But then like the one over the head to Matthew Golden, there's one to Man Jack. Like the, some of those things didn't get converted. Um, and obviously, if you are four of four, and I don't think it's out of our own possibility that you should have been four of four. We talk about drops too much. I'm not going to keep going. But if you're four of four, that shifting of the field changes the rest of the game dramatically. Um, I will say, uh, like in in the first watch, I was like, why didn't they run the pattern that opened up Sam Brown deep? It was a underneath match with a deep crosser. So you had uh, Matthew Golden run the underneath, like two yards line of scrimmage running across, 
Joseph Manjack taking that like 12 yard middle of the field crosser and that kind of bracketed the linebackers. The safety came down and took Manjack. You got Sam Brown over the top for the uh, long, long pass play, right? I don't understand. I didn't understand live why they didn't come back to that a lot more. It felt like that that was just a difficult thing for a three, three, five stack to cover because it, the thing they're going to give up, I guess, is throwing to golden underneath. That's Houston's best receiver once he's got the ball in his hands and then they're in trouble, right? But the later in that possession on second watch, uh, they ran it again uh, with a slightly different route combination as far as like Sam Brown didn't quite run on a deep crosser and a deep streak to take the safety off because you assume the safety's going to take him on the second time they run in the same possession, right? Um, and as Donovan is about to peel back and throw to a wide open Matthew Golden, he's got two linebackers in his face from rushing the right side of the offensive line, right? And that's when he took the giant sack and it led to a field goal and feel like, oh, more field goals, right? But like the play design is Donovan Smith's trying to wheel back to throw but his interceptions at that point have all been while he's hit, while he's throwing. So he tucks the ball and takes the sack, doesn't turn it over. Houston gets three points, right? That's not the best thing that could have happened on that play, but it's also good quarterback decision-making to not potentially turn the ball over in a moment where points are important, right? Especially when, you know, like, yes, I'm taking a sack here, but this is still in field goal range. Now, could he have thrown the ball away and taken it to fourth and four, and maybe Houston gets a fourth and four? Sure. But, the beggars can't be choosers. And I will say that that's not a terrible decision in that moment. I also think it looked like Houston got skittish and some of that stuff that was deeper and longer developing because of the pass rush that Donovan faced. Um, for what it's worth, Donovan's dealt with a lot of pressure this season through three games. Every game he's averaged between 2.75 and 2.85 seconds to throw the football. That is not a lot when 2022's D1 average. I actually can't find 2023's yet because we're three weeks in. 2022's D1 average was just about three seconds. That's a full quarter of a second in some cases. That's a big, big difference when you're back there with 350-pound men running at your face, right? That's a big, big difference. The other thing I will say is that he's been pressured 42 times. and He's, he's at least been moved off his mark and flushed from the pocket, if not hit, if not sacked, 42 times. Are some of those coverage sacks? Yes. Are some of those uh, receivers not getting separation? Sure. Are some of those that Donovan's holding the ball on too long? Probably so, right? And watching some of the concepts develop, I'm not sure exactly what its read order always is, but I think that's a fair assessment. But I have to say that, honestly, I don't know that I have that many criticisms. I'm going a little long this second, I'm sorry. Um, But I don't know that I have that many criticisms of him. I want to wrap up with criticisms uh, with what those criticisms would be before jumping into the second segment and talking about what other problems could be but I've already gone too long without telling you about our buddies at FanDuel because FanDuel is America's number one sports book. And if you're trying to make up for losses over the weekend, it's the best place to hit that up. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place $5 down. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose on that $5 bet. If you're thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to jump in on the action. They've got the line set right now for next weekend at Houston being favored over Sam Houston State by 12 and a half at home. The over-under is set at 38.5. They're seeing a low-scoring game. They are seeing a Sam Houston State defense that's been impressive this year. Um, I'm saying I'm taking the points, and I might actually say over on the 38.5. Um, I think this is a chance for Houston to kind of get some things right. Regardless of what you want to do with what I have to say or what you want to take, you need to take it at FanDuel.com. Use FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the season today. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. This FanDuel.com, and make sure you uh, check out your money lines, props, and so on. FanDuel.com. 
partner with the NFL. All right, so I mentioned that I want to finish what I was talking about with pressure on Donovan in the first segment and then jump in on the other criticism I have about other things. My criticism on Donovan twofold. One, his growth is taking a long time. And I don't think that if you told me in July, he would still be learning and learn, adapting and stuff like that. I'd had that many, by week four, I'd had that many problems with it. Except that I would have also thought in July that Houston would have had more things around him working in his favor. I would have thought that having heard so much hype and anticipated so much hype and frankly anticipated it because of the guys we saw play last season with the receiver room around him and the tight ends that we got in and all those kinds of things, I, I would have thought that he'd had more help around him. That's not proven to be the case. Um, there's a number of reasons to talk about that, but he's getting pressured and not getting catches. And that's not entirely his fault, but it is on him. Like, that does mean we need him to grow up a little faster than we might have previously anticipated as far as growing into the best version of this quarterback in this offense he can be. Um, and the second criticism, I think, is more um, more direct, and, and I don't mean this as anything bad, but horribly bad, I just need to get it fixed, is Donovan Smith is not the same runner he was at Texas Tech. At Texas Tech, you watch those games, you watch those unfold. Uh, he was a much more longer strides, and I feel like he had a little bit more burst, a little bit more twitchy when he had a defender in front of him. And then he's not running through faces of people in the same way that he did in multiple instances across that Tech career. Um, before coming to Houston. Now, I wonder a couple times if some of that is he's ducking into holes that I don't think are the correct hole uh, in some of the run stuff because it's different offense, and that may be part of it too. He's playing with different guys. He might think, my running back's going to block this way and he blocks that way or whatever. But it also, I think, is he's just generally speaking, because he's still learning, still very tentative. I think the nice thing about that as fans is that if we can be patient, those things do tend to grow go away with time. But I also think that, you know, those things that need to get fixed. Now, other things besides that, if they're just those two complaints I've got with him that need to get fixed, are um, they've got to convert as a team on third down. I think that is some on play calling. I think that is some on execution. I think it's a, very much a dual-edged sword. They were just 4 of 15 on third down, had just 12 first downs in the entire TCU game. The first half numbers from Rice are abysmal. They get covered up a little bit by the numbers in the um, – Second half, you know, shifting that a little bit. And then against UTSA, we've all talked about how ugly that one was offensively. Um, I just feel like for a team, for a team with this talented wide receiver room, as we continue to hear over the summer about Dana Horkson thinking we had, I would think that third down is kind of a money down because that's when you run blitz breaks and blitz break, blitz beaters and stuff like that because you can anticipate them sending dudes, right? And that's not what's happening now dan addressed some of this in this pre-practice media availability i've alluded to that earlier as well um it's on the uh content solutions or athletics page or one of those things on youtube if you haven't heard it yet but the interesting thing i took away was that it does not sound like with donovan smith or otherwise they're going to make any major shakeups along the offense he thinks he said at as much at the start of the press conference that if they were playing on monday the same 11 guys be out there starting. Meaning after watching the game film, he does not feel like a backup would be going into the game. Uh, the exact quote was, if we were playing today, it would be the same 11 starting. With that said, we're not, sorry, we're not playing today. We get a practice day and practice all week to where I'm going to challenge those second team guys. So could you see different guys playing by the weekend? Sure. But it sounds like that's got a lot more to do with how this week goes than with how 
last Saturday went. And um, he mentioned Boogie Johnson and Josh Cobbs by name. And it sounds like those guys have snaps up for the taking. That is that I interpreted that. This is me reading between lines as Dana and the offense are tired of the drops, but to earn those snaps, Josh Cobbs and Boogie Johnson going to do a little bit something at practice to kind of stand out and separate themselves and put themselves in those spots, right? Boogie has incredible footwork, great speed. He's also had a couple of those drops over the season, right? Josh Cobbs, big, strong, fast. He's not the twitchiest guy and not creating a whole lot of separation if it's not a straight line run, right? And so how do you get those guys in the field? Those guys need to make plays in practice to continue to get themselves into those positions to then get on the field to make plays to keep themselves in the game. Uh, he also mentioned Parker Jenkins by name. Um, I mentioned him yesterday, but I feel like the thing that can, we continue to hear about him are illusions too, but not directly commenting on him needing to continue to grow as a blocker. That's the biggest transition for a freshman running back. So I totally get that. And I, this is just where I respectfully disagree with Dana. Um, he's, He's a special runner. He is a special runner of the football. He's got an extra gear that he hits very quickly. He reads holes well. Um, I get that you're having trouble holding up up front with some of the blocking stuff and playing Big 12 football and that you need a, a running back that can block some. But you also need to have a run game, <laughs> and I think that's where he fits in. Um, he, he didn't directly say, I'm tired of hearing questions about Donovan Smith getting substituted out or the quarterback battle or whatever. But as far as people asking that, he was asked a later question as well. And um, he, he didn't, again, he went to the 2021 season after Houston lost to Texas tech to open it. And it, people were apparently, I'd kind of forgotten about it because it feels so silly now, but people were calling for Clayton tunes job, right? I remember people calling for Clayton tunes job the year before, um, but I had forgotten it was as recently as the first game of 2021. And Clayton Toon is now in the pros and has a very stellar Houston career. One of just three quarterbacks, if I'm not mistaken, that's thrown for over 5,000 yards in a season at Houston. Um, yeah. Um, and so, again, it, it's the classic thing where when things are south, coaches and backup quarterbacks um, become the very common topics of discussion. You know, if, if Houston handles business against Rice and a couple of those drops turn into touchdowns against TCU, I don't know if we're having the same conversation about Donovan Smith as a quarterback, right? And that's not necessarily entirely on him. It's on, on a lot of other things as well. Like he doesn't play defense. He couldn't keep Rice out of the end zone for those 28 points, right? He did score a total of five touchdowns that game, right? Like, like that's just the way, that's the reality of it, right? That's the reality of how that goes. Um, the Rice had a line I mentioned earlier about talking about pressure, but that's an area of concern, I think, going forward as far as talking about other things. Um, I think what's frustrating is those same two guys are A, great kids, but B, also played better a year ago. Now, they've changed offensive line coaches, um, and I think that what Brandon Jones did with them a year ago was he's a much better pass block, much bigger on pass blocking kind of guy, and that suited what we are trying to do on offense. Switching to Iman Yagavi, we're hoping for more of a run scheme and seeing some guys that put hat on hat and drive, but Adi's off. But these are also older veteran guys with a lot of practice snaps and a lot of work and a lot of reps working in systems like the one Brandon Jones was running. And so it feels like we're still not completely shifted to what Iman would want. With that said, there was a lot of pressure basically between the right A-gap and the right tackle. Um, so center guard, that whole side throughout the game um, was not the best showing from those guys. I think what happened, honestly, is that the center and the nose tackle kind of stalemated in the middle. And then there was a lot of, you know, a lot of space to cover and a lot of 
who's got that guy because there are a lot of options for who could be rushing between the multiple linebackers and the defensive end tackle type and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, and that changed up a lot of responsibilities and made it really difficult on the right side of the offensive line. Um, disappointed with the pad level. Dana said the same. I think anyone watched the game throughout the game would notice that it got worse as the game went on. Um, that's a depth issue we talk about. Uh, it's a depth issue moving the Big 12. I think you know they rotated nine defensive linemen in. Houston pretty much played the same five offensive linemen with the exception of one or two snaps the entire game. Um, and that, that's that, that's hard, especially when, um, frankly, you like talk about pad level. If you play that many snaps in a row and you play against guys that are fresh, that's when you start to see it get worse over the course of the game because it's just, you know, just don't, it, your, your body's tired. You don't sink as low. You don't get as low in the hips. You don't get as low in the knees. The shin angles, I was coached a lot when I was a kid. Um, in uh, high school ball talking about like shin angles and stuff like that. Your shin angles aren't quite right as far as where your bend is. And that's a real big problem as well. Um, now, and the third thing I want to talk some about how the defense can adjust to things after watching the game a couple of times. And I mentioned at the top of the show that we're going to be giving away some tickets to whoever tells us down below what their favorite game to watch in person or on TV, the Houston Cougar football program was. But first, if you're trying to get to the game this weekend and maybe you don't win this contest and you're still looking for tickets, you need to go check out Game Time. If you're looking for tickets to any Houston Cougar football, Houston Cougar football team or Houston Cougar football game, you need to go to Game Time. Forget planning months in advance. You don't got to do that with Game Time. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event, exclusive flash deals on tickets from football, basketball, baseball, concert, comedy, theater, and more. The Game Time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. Get tickets of your seat before you buy, so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Buy the tickets in a matter of seconds, two taps, and you're all set. Snag the tickets out the stress at Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code Locked On College for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply again. Create an account and redeem code Locked On College for $20 off your first purchase. Game Time is in the game. Lowest price guaranteed. Now, I want to say a couple of things about the defense, although I've maintained that I don't have that. So when you're dealing with an offense that's that efficient, quarterback that's that strong, running back that's that good, offensive line that returned a lot of guys with snaps in their belts from last year in the national championship run, I feel like it's worth pointing out that like the defense holding that team to 36 points, which is the lowest amount of points they scored this season, um, is impressive in and of itself, right? And we could very well be looking at this in a month or two as like the 36 points the Houston Cougars held TCU to was the lowest they scored all season still because that's that team's going to put up a lot of points. Um, but that tempo thing they did has continued to be a problem for Houston. And it, I wanted to say initially that was another depth issue, right? That the tempo problem was because Houston's guys are playing more snaps than the average college football player because they get real young real fast and their young guys aren't quite ready to play big 12 football because they got to continue to develop their body, especially in the trenches or whatever. Right. But it was a problem at the jump. The first drive that TCU ran was six plays, 75 yards and took just 90 seconds. That's lightning fast. Um, but also it implies that, you know, at six plays for 75 yards, you're getting well over 12, 13, 14 yards a pop very, very quickly. Right. Um, I guess you're actually getting, you're getting, 
yeah, a lot of yards per play really quickly. There's a big chunk there, especially in the touchdown was a, was a, a rather large throw. Um, but the problem to me there was that was at the gate, and it was like they weren't ready for the speed. Now, Houston buckled down, and I thought played a very strong, consistent rest of the first half after that. Once they'd gotten punched in the mouth, had their backs against the ropes, they were kind of up for it the rest of the game, um, or certainly the rest of the half, if not the rest of the game. But that was you know a welcome to the Big 12 kind of moment. They didn't seem to have too terrible a time with it. I guess the rest of the first half, you also got to remember they had a sack fumble that gave the ball back to Houston and then Malik Fleming pick. And um, on the third watch, I might admit that there was some contact there, but whatever, we got the pick. Um, so I I think those things are, you know, got to keep in mind that they did adjust. They did get better. Um, I, I have to say, though, that depth and that tempo stuff will continue to be a problem against Power 5 opponents. Um, bluntly, Houston had problems with it, trying to rotate guys in and, and got beat on it a couple of times against UTSA when they wanted to tempo and rice. So it's just going to be a consistent Achilles heel. Um, it's just something they're having trouble with for reference to how much faster we're talking though. Um, there were technically 93 snaps, but 88 plays because five of those got voided with penalties in the, um, in the game, the most they'd played to that point the defense that is was 78 plays against rice. So you're talking about technically 15 more snaps, 10 of which counted in a game that went regulation. And I would argue TCU was kind of milking the clock at the end of it, right? It could have been a lot more than that. Um, and you see that show up in the, um, the, the depth and the problem there um, with missed tackles. I mean, their last touchdown, which was not the thing that lost the game. Houston not being able to score a touchdown is what lost the game. Um, but the last touchdown did kind of show a void in Houston's defense up the middle. And at that point, yes, there was a hole at the middle, but you also had two red jerseys unblocked the point of attack that missed a tackle in the backfield. Um, and that's tired head down, et cetera, like shooting through the gap with a crazy explosion and then not reacting fast enough. Cause you've played a lot of snaps and are catching your breath still. Right. Um, he then slipped through that and, A.J. Halsey met him at the goal line or near the end zone, but at that point, Imani Bailey was already in for the last touchdown of the game. Pro Football Focus has Houston down with 24 tackles. I I thought it felt higher than that on each watch, but I admittedly didn't count one by one um, to try and correct them or anything like that. But that's a lot of missed tackles in a single football game. Um, and I, I would say in wrapping up, talk about the tempo side of things, um, that Houston probably needs to find ways to practice getting set like that uh, more effectively. Um, I'm not saying they don't work on it. I'm saying what they're doing is not working because it's not at a, it's not at a game level of exhaustion is probably the best way to put it. And so that's where the mistakes seem to be happening to me outside of the very first series, of the TCU game. Um, as far as the coverage goes behind it all, actually not the worst day from a coverage perspective. Uh, when you rewatch it a few different times, um, for what it's worth, the starters fair, held their own fairly well. Malik Fleming was the least targeted by a lot, far, targeted just four times, and he played every snap of defense. That's a lot, folks. Um, Isaiah Hamilton was targeted just twice in 78 snaps. Um, that's, again, they did beat him on one, so like eh, they, they, they got their one there, but just targeted twice is pretty strong for covering a guy and not letting him get open for the ball. Conversely, uh, 
Brian George was uh, targeted five times in his 38 snaps. It's a much higher ratio. It indicates that when a substitute comes in the game, they're looking for that, right? They're looking for that. They understand that. Alex Hogan was targeted the most, which was eight total snaps, but he also played 82 snaps, so not the same ratio as like Brian George was. I use those numbers to say like TCU wide receivers and Sonny Dykes' offenses of the past. You talk about receivers and separation and so on. And Houston did a pretty good job of forcing contested catches for the most part. And, you know, I think that that's important to keep in mind that the guys that play the most snaps at corner, those four did a fairly strong job of it. Um, JP Richardson had the most catches of anyone, um, but he also was matched up mostly with Alex Hogan. Uh, so that's when we talk about those targets he had. Um, and that's like our number one, their number one kind of thing. Now, with a not 6'2", with a smaller receiver, I wonder if you'll see more of um, Malik Fleming on the number one guy. It kind of depends on body types. He just giving up a lot on the jump balls and you put Malik out there. So those kind of things happen. Last but not least, I'll talk about the, the run game was more boom bust. Um, you know, the fr- defensive line win, I would say, was quote unquote fresh, um, was able to compete with TCU's offensive line. Full stop. They put some pressure on Chandler Moore. They got after him. They hit him. At one point, it looked like he was hurt. I mean, they punished him in the past game and pass rush. Um, it was great to have Dot Nwankel back. You could see the difference he made. Now, he didn't have the sack of force or anything like that, but he held down the middle uh, in a way that was very much missed against Rice and makes me feel like, frankly, had he played against Rice, we could have been talking about a very different thing. Um, but at the end of the game, that war of attrition when those guys were not fresh and they'd been worn out because they played so many snaps, that first group of really about six or seven deeps in linemen rotating through that four spots. So not even quite a full two deep uh, for the majority of the snaps. The end of the game felt kind of bloodbathy. It felt like the war of attrition had gotten to Houston. That's why you see that that you know run up the get that we talked about. Um, you know, Dot Wonko did play limited snaps. Uh, Caldwell played just 37 snaps. Um, and I think that's where you see the snaps pile up for the other guys in that room. Um, hopefully these guys continue to get healthy and play more and more each week. We want them back full time. Trust me. Um, and so anyway, I could, I could talk about the defense as a whole, but, um, and I guess like Ogwegbu did play more, um, and made some plays and it was good to see him on the field, rest in the pasture. He's still, you know, transitioning into the defensive end spot and, I think I think we're going to be pleased with that come you know next couple of weeks of development after get right week against uh, Sam Houston State. Now Wednesday we are going to shift gears and talk about Sam Houston State. So remember to subscribe to Locked On Cougars, Lance and Houston Cougars each and every day as we put TCU behind us. Look forward to Sam Houston State. Uh, Wednesday we'll talk about them. Thursday, we're talking to uh, someone that covers them. And Friday, we're talking about the three keys to the game to beat them. So a fun week ahead and getting ready to get back on track for the Houston Cougars. So make sure you subscribe down below. Uh, thank you for making us your first listen of the day. I'm recommending Locked on Astros because it's a wild end-of-season playoff race. Go check them out for your second listen. Locked on Cougs, it's a primary Locked on Podcast Network. And that means your team every day. Go Cougs.